0: Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's a fun time of the year here at Southside as we enter the Christmas season. And there's a lot going on, I know, in, in our all of our personal family lives. But here at the church, we have a lot of fun stuff going on. And so today kind of marks the beginning of our of our Christmas season, our Christmas here at Southside. And so we're going to begin uh, this season by looking At the birth of Jesus, rightfully so, as that was what we are celebrating, uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to begin uh, by jumping right into the book of Matthew, the first gospel, and the first chapter of Matthew, where uh, we, we learn kind of a perspective on Christmas, and, and that's the series that we're going to be going through the next three weeks, is Perspectives on Christmas. and So today we're going to look at Christmas from the eyes of Mary and Joseph, and so we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25, where we get a little bit of an insight on what was going on in their lives as they experienced uh, the birth of Jesus. Next week, uh, Dick is going to be sharing with us from the perspective of the shepherds and how they Uh, saw and witnessed the birth of Jesus Christ. And then the uh, week before, the Sunday before Christmas, we'll look at it from the perspective of the wise men, just to give you a little heads up of what we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks. Three weeks. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Until Christmas. Uh, All the kids are saying yes. All the parents are saying no. (laughs) All right, well, before we jump into Matthew chapter 1, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. God, we love you so much and we're grateful for uh, this opportunity to worship you this morning and to partake in your Lord's Supper. And Father, even as we share from Matthew chapter 1 and we look at the birth of your Jesus, of your Son Jesus, we know, Father, that even His birth points us back to uh, that Lord's Supper that we just uh, took part in. It points us back to the cross and, and how uh, His death uh, allowed us to even be here today uh, together in this room. So, Father, we lift him up, and we, we lift you up, and we pray that you are honored and glorified as a result of our worship and our time of study this morning. So please use it in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Let's jump into it. Uh, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I love this story. There's a few verses in here, really, that just capture the whole essence of the Christmas story, and why God did things the way he did them. And so this morning, I want to start off by looking at this story kind of from three different perspectives. Uh, last year, during this time, we were going through a, a kind of a, a theme, a, um, I don't know what you say, it's a a plan of sermon study and Bible studies in our home groups called The Story. Do you guys remember that? We went through the book, The Story, which was kind of a retelling. I mean, it wasn't retelling. It was scripture, but ordered in such a way that we went through it chronologically, and we, we looked at it from a couple perspectives. We looked at it from an upper perspective and a lower perspective. The upper perspective was, was God's perspective, and the lower perspective was what was going on in the story at that time. And so I want to borrow from that technique this morning and look at the lower story, the upper story, and our story really quick. Okay, so the lower story, what actually took place in this story, in this passage of Scripture here, in the birth of Jesus, uh, is is interesting to me. Because Mary and Joseph start off this story in what? In, in a state of dysfunction. I don't know if you caught that in this story. In verse 18, it says that... Uh, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Okay, we know from the text that it's from the Holy Spirit. But if you're in the middle of that situation, if you're Joseph in this story, what are you thinking? Okay, it doesn't matter whose baby it is, it's not mine, right? So their story starts off in a state of dysfunction. It's chaotic, it's scandalous, in fact, in the Old Testament, in the book of John, or I'm sorry, in the book of, of John in the New Testament, we see the attitudes that and the law uh, that had been handed down from the Old Testament come to play. In uh, John chapter 8, starting in verse 3, it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And uh, I lost my place. sorry. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such a woman. So they brought the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, they bring forward a woman caught in adultery, and they say, the law tells us to stone this lady. Okay, We know the rest of the story. What happens? What does Jesus say? Well, he gets down on his hands and knees, and he starts to draw in the dirt, and he stands up and he looks at him and says, hey, whichever of you is without sin, go ahead. Right? Do it. Throw the stone. Okay, so we know that the Old Testament attitude at this time was that if a woman is caught in adultery, we kill her. We have the legal right to do such. And so we start off our Christmas story with Mary, who's found to be pregnant, and Joseph, who is not the father, yet is engaged, or in our society, ultimately married, but hasn't had the official ceremony, but legally is married, his wife's pregnant, and it's not his. Legally, He has the right to have her killed. But it says Joseph is a righteous man. He's faithful to the law. And so he doesn't want to disgrace her. He doesn't want to kill her. And so he's going to just put her away quietly. I'm reminded of times when I remember back in my high school days when there would be a girl who disappeared, right, who would not be at school that year. And, oh, she's uh, living with another relative at the time. And then she'd come back a year later and just go about her life, right? What happened? Well, we know she was sent off because it was disgraceful to her family to have a baby out of wedlock. Oh, the horrors, right? Uh, It was disgraceful. And so here we see that type of attitude taking place. And so Joseph is probably embarrassed. He's embarrassed that his wife, legal, his legal wife has a baby and it's not his. And people will know it because they haven't been living together. She's been staying at home with her parents. So the story starts off with dysfunction. But we know that it doesn't end there, that he doesn't put her away, that God intervenes in this story. God puts his hands and reaches down into their lives and he intercedes on Mary's behalf. And he talks to Joseph in a dream and he says, don't do it. Don't put her away. This baby isn't just some guy's baby that you don't know who it is. This is my child. The Holy Spirit is the one who placed that baby in Mary's womb. And I need you to be the father. I need you to be there for her. I need you to marry Mary. So God intercedes. And in the middle of great chaos and great scandal in their family, what happens? A baby is born. A child has been given. And not just any child, right? But the greatest gift that the world has ever been given, was presented through scandal, through chaos. Their lives were in turmoil, but God interceded and brought a huge blessing, not only to them, but to us as well. So that's the lower story. That's what's taking place, the immediate picture of what we read in this passage is dysfunction, but God works in dysfunction, and he blesses people as a result of dysfunction. What's going on in the upper story from God's perspective? Well, we know that sin has invaded this world much earlier, thousands of years earlier when Adam and Eve sinned. And the repercussions of that sin have been carried forward for years. And God had instituted sacrificial atonements that took place to cover those sins or push them back for a little while. But the problem was, was growing as the world was being populated. And Philip, the problem is increasing and sin is running rampant. And he knows that there's only one way to take care of the problem. And so in the middle of a broken world filled with dysfunction, in need of redemption, where sin ruled the day, God intervened. He inserted his hand into human history, and he ushered in a way for all of us sitting here today to come to know him and to deal with the sin in our lives. That's the upper story. But then there's our story. Each of us here, sitting here, no matter how good we may think we are, no matter how long we've been a Christian, or if we aren't even a Christian, all of us are stuck in the middle of our own troubles. Right? We all have trials. We all have suffering in our lives. We all face consequences of our past decisions or the bad decisions of other people. But the good news is what? The good news of the gospel is that God, in our dysfunction in the dysfunction of our life, in the trials and our suffering, he intervenes and he sticks his hands into our life through the calling of the Holy Spirit. And in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our trials and troubles, we can experience that same gift that Mary and Jesus were given. We can experience the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And that's good news. Whenever the Holy Spirit intervenes, I love this. I I was thinking about this and wrestling with this in my, my brain this week as I studied. Whenever the Holy Spirit intervenes in our lives, it's the Christmas story all over again. Because the Christmas story is all about God inserting himself into the lives of mankind. Inserting himself into the lives of Mary and Joseph and taking their dysfunction and bringing a positive result out of it. And we can experience that too. So we have these three perspectives. We have Mary and Joseph and their dysfunction and how a gift was given that changed their lives and changed the course of mankind. We know that in the greater story, the upper story, that God intervened and took care of the problem of sin through the gift and the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know from our perspective that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. What What can we learn from this? Where can we go knowing these things? What can we learn this morning? So here I have three things this morning. The first thing is we cannot be afraid of suffering. We cannot be afraid of suffering. Sometimes suffering and trials and troubles become overwhelming, and we want out of them. We want God just to deliver us and to take it away from us. But that's not how he works, right? A few weeks back, several weeks back now, I talked about how Jesus... When he was with his disciples, didn't when he fell asleep on the boat in the middle of the storm, he didn't guide the boat around the storm and take them out of the storm. He took them right through the middle of the storm. Right, Suffering is not a bad thing in our lives. It may feel like it in the moment, but there's a purpose for it. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says this. It says, we also glory in our sufferings. That's interesting. We glory in our sufferings because... We know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. I'm not trying to insert that verse into every sermon I preach. I just want you to know that. It just happens. <laughs> There's nothing I can do for, about it. It just pops up every time I do my study. You see, in the middle of our sufferings, it says that we have an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit because in the middle of our bad times, what happens? Christ's sacrifice is fulfilled. It comes to light. You know every good story has a problem. You know that every good story that we tell has a problem. In in uh, literature, there are five elements to a story. I don't know if you ever studied this before, but if you ever gone to had an English class, you might have remembered this. In in a story, there are five elements. There's character, there's setting, plot, theme, and I skipped over one. You know what it was? Conflict. Okay, every story, every book that we read, every movie that we watch, every TV show has a problem. There's a conflict involved in it. Uh, in fact, if you think back on your life and the great stories that you have that you tell at family reunions, they all come from conflict. Okay. Uh, maybe your story goes something like this. Remember the time we went on that vacation, and we broke down alongside of the road, and it was like 150 degrees out, and we had to wait for 15 hours for the tow truck driver to arrive, and when the tow truck driver got out, he had more arms than he had teeth, and he only had one arm. You remember that story? <laughs> Okay, can you relate? You know, that that type of story is the fun type of story to tell, but in the middle of it, what was that story? Was that fun? No, it was miserable, right? But now I can look back and say, that's a great story. Or, here's another example I'll share with you. My most embarrassing moment. Okay, I know I shouldn't be sharing this from the pulpit probably. My most embarrassing moment when I in my whole life took place when I was about eight years old, nine years old, ten, somewhere in there, I don't remember exactly. I've tried to block it out, but it but it hasn't worked. I was playing baseball and I played a lot of baseball when I was little. And and I love football and I and I still am involved in football, but baseball was really what I was best at. And uh one year I was having a great year. I made the all star team that year. I was I I had a great year hitting the ball and pitching everything. And uh, I don't remember a single hit. Well, that's not true. I remember one hit I made all that year. One hit. I had a lot of them. Hit home runs, triples, doubles, all, everything. But I remember one hit because I was up to bat and I swung and I swung as hard as I could and I connected with that ball and it was gone. Now we were in a little league field with no fence, so it just you just ran until the person caught the ball, caught up with the ball and threw it back in. So I ran. I was not fast, but I rounded first. And as I'm headed towards second, I hear something snap while well, I was wearing sweatpants. You see where I'm going with this already, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm face down in the dirt. The string on my sweatpants had broke, and my sweatpants dropped to my ankles as I was halfway in between. And so I stand up in shock, I look down, and I'm in my tidy whities and I... For everyone to see, and I pull my pants back up, and I run to second, and the ball still hasn't gotten back into the field to play yet. And so I take off running, holding my pants like this, and I'm running, and I'm halfway through between second and third, and they slip out of my hands, and my pants once again fall to my ankles, and I biff it, okay? And I finally, I make it to third, and I got a triple, okay, a triple. I actually scored a triple. I would have been a home run had my, my pants not hit my ankles two times. <coughs> Yeah, that's a good story. It's, it was horribly embarrassing. Horribly embarrassing. But it's the only hit I remember that year. Right? In fact, in all of my T-ball and post-T-ball and years of playing uh, baseball, I don't remember a single hit. I don't even remember a single out. I remember that. Right? That was a problem. In the middle of my suffering, right? I actually got a triple, so I guess you could say in the middle of my suffering, something good came out of it. that so, right? Well, in every good story, there's a conflict, there's a problem. And we can't be afraid of those type of problems that take place. Because when we're on the other side, what happens? We can look back and we have a great story to tell. Or we have a great testimony to share. Or we have a tool in our toolbox so that when someone comes along and they're going through something similar, what can we do? Man, we can put our arm around and go, it's going to be all right. When I have a kid, when I'm coaching, and they have an embarrassing moment, hey, your pants didn't hit the ground. I can tell you that. (laughs) Here's the second thing we can learn. Our trials and our troubles have a purpose. They have a purpose. In verse 22, it says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. All of this. So when Mary and Joseph were in the middle of this, this trial, this scandal, it had a purpose. All of this happened so that something could be fulfilled. What was it? What was it? The pain of that moment was to usher in the Savior. And so I think that if you ask Mary years later, as she looked back on her life and said, when you were in the moment, middle of that, when you were in the middle of that scandal, when you faced being put out by your husband and the risk of never marrying again because you would be marked as an adulteress, would you do anything different? No. Because that's why Jesus came. That's how Jesus came. That's the way that God used my situation to bring in something amazing. We see examples of this in the Old Testament over and over again. And I I think back to the nation of Israel. And as they wandered in the desert, preparing to go into the the promised land, when God made them wander, there was a purpose for their suffering. And that purpose was to call them back to Jesus, or to God, I guess I should say, in the Old Testament. But to call them back to obedience. And so they had to suffer for a short period of time. For some of them, it cost them the rest of their lives, but it was a purpose. It was a purpose was to lead them to where God wanted them to be. Not just in location, but in their spiritual lives as well. I read a quote this week. It says, In the wilderness, we are not being punished. We're being tested. And our faith is being strengthened. So we can't be afraid. Because our trials and our troubles and our embarrassments and our scandals can serve a purpose in our life. In Psalm chapter sixty-six, verses ten through twelve, it says, "For you, O God, have tested us; you have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a, cushion, a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance." you brought us out of that difficult time into a place of abundance, of blessings. There's a reason that we suffer trials. There's a reason we suffer in general. God has a purpose for everything that we go through in our lives. Here's the third thing. We don't need to be afraid. Our, our trials and our troubles have purpose. But our obedience, our obedience, is what will see us through. In verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. Again, here we are in the middle of scandal. And he has every right to put Mary aside. Legally, I think all of us would agree that if we were engaged to be married and our wives or our husbands were unfaithful, or at least what we perceive to be unfaithful, that we would have every right to cancel that engagement. Joseph had that right. But when the angel spoke to him, what did he do? He believed. He woke up and he did what the Lord had commanded him to do. And he took Mary home as his wife. And look where we are today. God would have used someone else if Joseph had chosen to be uh, disobedient. But the fact is, is that his obedience has led him to be one of the most famous people that ever lived in the history of the world. Mary and Joseph. Everyone knows Mary and Joseph. Joseph didn't use chaos in his life as an excuse to disobey. He didn't use the troubles and the trials as an excuse to sin. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Have you ever let your frustrations with someone or something push you into sin? Have you ever let your hurts cause you to act in an unloving manner or to say hurtful things back to someone else? Joseph had every right to be hurt. He had every right to be offended, to treat Mary poorly. Even have her killed. But he was a righteous man and he was an obedient man. And he listened when God called. And he obeyed. Even when he was hurt. Even when he was frustrated. We can't use our hurts. We can't use our frustrations. We can't use the trials in our lives and the, the troubles that we're going through. The illnesses that we may have. The hurts again. We can't use those as an, as an excuse to disobey. We cannot be afraid of our sufferings. We can't. Because we haven't suffered more than than other people in the Bible. We haven't suffered more than what's common to man. Our trials, our suffering, our troubles have a purpose in this life. And God could be refining you in the fire for something so much greater. I've talked to many people over the years that went through horribly traumatic things. But they used those things for God's glory. And they stayed obedient to him. And when they stayed obedient to him... He guided them right through the storm. All of these things happened for a purpose. All of these things that we talked about today, from Mary and Joseph to our hurts, to the hurts of the world, have happened for a purpose. And that's to point us towards one person. The little baby that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. But it doesn't stop there, does it? The point of the Christmas story isn't really even... birth birth of Jesus. What is it? It's the death of Jesus. It's the act of the cross where Jesus died for our sins and he came back to life and he ascended back to the Father and ascending that spirit to help us, to lead us back to that Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and I say that so often, but I mean it every single time, Father. Because you have rescued me from so much hurt and dysfunction in my own life. And the sin that entrapped me. And you delivered me through your son. And so, Father, when I look at this story and I see the birth of Jesus, it's just amazing and comforting to know that you would humble yourself to the point where you would allow yourself to become man. To dwell among us. To die on the cross for my sin. And Father, if I just hear that story and say, yeah, I believe it, but I don't let it impact my life and my attitudes and every action, every action I take, every thought I have, then I'm, I'm selling it short. So I pray, Father, this morning as we hear these words and we, we consider them this Christmas season, that it will help just change who we are. And that will be people who aren't afraid. We aren't afraid of suffering. We won't be afraid of, of trials and of illnesses or anything that comes our way because we know that you sent your Son to be victorious in our life and to provide us with eternal life. So, Father, in this Christmas season, may Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection be the focus of everything we do. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. God intercedes in the life Of people. He still does it today. He did it 2,000 years ago. And if he hasn't come in 2,000 years, he'll keep doing it into the future. And all of us who call ourselves Christians, all of those of us who have submitted our lives to him, have felt that presence of his hands involved, interfering with, interceding in our lives. And praise be to God for it. This morning, even if you're a Christian and you feel like you need uh, that intercessory that hand of God to be involved in your life, to get you through whatever you're going through, whatever trial and trouble, I'd love to pray, for you, pray with you this morning. And Pastor Dick over there, wave your hand so they can see you. He would love to pray with you this morning. And Don, I know Don would love to, wave, wave your hand so they can actually see you. Don would love to pray with you this morning. And so I'd invite you as we close our service to come and to talk to one of us. If you've never received that, uh, that hand of God's impact on your life, then t- today's a great day to, to do that. So i invite you, respond to the tugging of the Holy Spirit in your lives this morning. Thanks.